Julia Roig, today's guest, is the founder and chief network weaver of the Horizons Project. She has more than 25 years of experience working in conflict transformation and peace building. She is best known for her ability to convene diverse coalitions and her leadership of global networks. She'll also share insights about her superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show. Julia, thank you so much for joining me for this important conversation. I, I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you. Thanks so much, Devin. This is really fun for me to, to participate. I really appreciate being invited. Well, this is an important conversation. You know, we these are stressful times for a lot of people in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, I think we're all trying to make sense of this. And for some of us, you know, amateurs like me, we need professional peace builders like you to guide us. Before we jump into some of my angst, I want to please don't think of me as, I, I, I want to think of you as my therapist. I'm going to try not to do that, but uh, I, I want you to help us think through some of the stressors that we're all experiencing and how to cope and how to how to be more peace positive uh, in our activities every day. But let's start by by having you explain your current project, the, the Horizons Project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you for that. And um you know, it's interesting because, you know, words matter a lot. So when you just described, like, you're a professional peace builder, what I find often is, you know, people have kind of a, an image in their head of what that even means. And, and you know, my the definitions of myself over the years have really changed. And so with this new project, the Horizons Project, that I just started um, with some colleagues uh, over the last year and a half is, you know, as I think the name hopefully signifies very focused on the future, where are we going, you know, which gives us a sense of, of a kind of a collective shared vision and story that we're going to be able to tell ourselves. And, and so the Horizons Project is a really an organizing platform. We're, we're not a non-for-profit. We've set ourselves up as a small team to be really trying to establish connective tissue between a lot of other people doing really good work. And there's a lot of different definitions of what a peace builder is. Uh, you may think that it's somebody who works on violent conflict, somebody who's working to end war, um, I often think about peace builders as connective tissue uh, between disparate perspectives, uh, disparate concerns, different worldviews, um, because that's something that we call positive peace. We're not necessarily just trying to end violence and the perception of violence. We're really trying to create the conditions that keep us more peaceful as a society. And so the Horizons Project is, is just a wonderful space of connecting people that really need to be connected at this moment uh, with all of the tensions and the differences that we come at the world's problems with, because we all are making sense in different ways. And so I think the tools that a peace builder uses of empathy, of active listening, of, of uh, meeting people where they are is a part of the facilitation work that we're doing at the Horizons Project now. Yeah. Well, 
I'm so glad that you would take a minute to walk us through that. Uh, just give us a sense of the day-to-day -day activities of the Horizons Project and uh, help us understand what, you know, the, the, what you're doing. Yeah, you know, I find it very difficult to explain sometimes. I mean, you know, it's and, you know, whether it's my parents or my, um, you know, my my cousin, you know, who lives out in Eastern Oregon, like, what do you do again? It sounds so, you know, and then the day to day, I mean, it, what is what is organizing work at its heart is building relationships with people. And so my daily life really looks like talking to a lot of different people about what they're doing, what their vision of the problem is, what their concerns are, what their fears are, um, where they feel like there's gaps that they don't have access. And, you know, so organizing work just looks like, uh, in this day and age, a lot of Zoom calls. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I, we really try as a team to participate in as many networks as we can. So if other people are convening conversations, whether it's about issues as diverse as racial justice, about uh, the connection between generations, how do young people work with old people? I deal with a lot of different, we call them pillars of um, support to democracy. So there's a business pillar, there's a media pillar, there's a religious institutions pillar. And uh, so I, I sit in on a lot of network discussions, but I'll give you an example. I finally had a, a you know, an in-person meeting yesterday. I don't get to go to a lot of coalition meetings in person, but just yesterday I got to participate in a, a group of, of bridge builders. They call themselves bridge builders. That's their title. And they have a, a national council of bridge builders. And so I participated as a peace builder because I've got a different name. That's why I was talking about how words matter. And we just defined how we define our work, how we define ourselves, what our, what our priorities are, where is their overlap, where is there not, how do we need to kind of align or find common ground and where are their natural tensions. So you know, I get, I get paid to talk to a lot of really interesting people. And then I spend a lot of time reading. I read stuff and then I share things that I think are super interesting and cool. So people who know me know that I'm like a, an obsessive sharer of cool stuff that I think people should read. Sometimes it's overwhelming. And so if I send yeah. articles, they'll, they'll come back to me and say, can you just, which is the one article I should read? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Uh, you know, I, as I think about the situation I see today in in the United States, I I look uh, at January sixth, twenty twenty one, as kind of a a scary event. Mm -hmm. Um, you know that that was you know. I realize different people have different perspectives. They like to use different words to describe it, but it was clearly violent, objectively violent. Uh, uh, I think it is accurately described as an insurrection, right? That, that there were people there trying to prevent Congress from uh, taking a, a vote uh, 
essentially formalize Joe Biden's victory in the election. And it's hard for me to articulate my views about what happened that day without offending people who are sympathetic mm-hmm. to what happened on that day. Yeah. And I, I use this example uh, to and context because I think the issue really isn't resolved in America, right? We, we haven't found uh, unanimity around this. Uh, I have many friends uh, who I think, um, you know, we're this close to going on January 6th and might go the next time. Uh, mm-hmm. And it scares me. Uh, yeah. But I don't want to be contributing to raising their anger. Uh, I don't want to contribute to having them buy more ammo, right? Uh, I want to dial down the peace. But I also don't want to legitimize uh, insurrection. Guide me. And I think there are a lot of people who feel yeah. this angst. They're, they're looking for somebody help us figure out how to talk about this in a way that doesn't inflame the passions, dials them down, but doesn't allow for, you know, doesn't in some way condone. Right. Help me out. Well, you know, I, I think first and foremost, it's important to acknowledge that painful experience that you're having, the confusion. Um, and there's confusion everywhere. Everyone's confused. We don't know what to believe. We don't know what's true. And at the same time, uh, what we are experiencing in the United States is actually falling quite, is tracking pretty closely along uh, an authoritarian playbook. (laughs) And so we really do have a faction in the United States right now that is trying to subvert democracy. And it's not one person, it's not one politician, it is a system that is uh, right now happens to be a faction within uh, the Republican Party. You know, under Jim Crow, it was that faction was in the Democratic Party. But one of the very clear uh, tactics of any authoritarian rule is to keep us divided and to keep us confused and to not know what's true. And so there's a couple of things that I would say. One is, is that we quite honestly need to face up to the level of threat. And it's, I think that we have had a democracy for more than 200 years. And so we don't think it can happen here, that we could lose it. And, and actually we're, we came close and and we eventually had a transition of power, but the problem is metastasized, and it's now at the state level, and it and it shows up in a lot of different ways, and it shows up not just in kind of voting rights and all of the kind of politics, but it shows up in the way that we can't we're so polarized we can't have those conversations anymore with each other, and so there's two things that I would say. One is is you know, we, we can't, um, we can't necessarily blame 
those who are swimming in a sea of misinformation. Because truly, uh, you know, the, the, it's not just the media, but the media is a pillar <laughs> of support. And, and so, the, you know, do you hate them or does your heart bleed for them? <laughs> really? And so how to have these conversations then is um, a lot of practice of calling in versus calling out. And I don't know if you've had if you've um, engaged at all with the work of Loretta Ross, who's a, a professor at Smith College, who has a wonderful TED Talk. If you're a TED Talk consumer, and you know, I think part of uh, the answer is to not necessarily talk about January sixth. <laughs> quite honestly, to find each other's humanity. Uh, again, there's a lot of groups that are focused on that because part of why we're so divided is because we we feel shamed. There's we're, there's a sea of outrage. And so actually, you know, when you hear like I, we don't want to necessarily give rise to the belief around January 6th. But if somebody believes in that, it's one, you know, we all have stacked identities. It's one aspect of them. And so I, I really do think we need to uh, have an invitation of belonging because a lot of the dynamics that are pulling us apart right now is just a sense of just exclusion, right? On all sides and, com you know, competitive victimhood. and But we also need to work like heck to protect uh, our democracy and there's a whole bunch of work on social norms that I'd love to, I mean, I don't want to get too academic on you, but if and when our, 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 our in-group, we see our in-group behaving in a different way, our norms start to change. And right now, our norms are very grounded in outrage. Um, but there's a whole exhausted middle uh, who just is keeping their head down which is another part of authoritarianism, isn't it? We all start keeping quiet because if not, we're going to get our heads chopped off because our in-groups are going to get so angry at us. So, you know, I, you just have to find something. You have to find another um, connection and, and find something to work on together that isn't just about arguing about, you know, these, these truths uh, that, you know, people have a totally different sense of reality right now, unfortunately. Yeah. I guess maybe part of what you're saying is that maybe I'm not doing such a bad job. I, I'm a member of a Rotary Club. We do a lot of service in the community. We, we raised uh, tens of thousands of dollars for a variety of causes, including especially uh, supporting some food banks in our community uh, we routinely build uh, wheelchair ramps for folks who need them on, at their homes. Um, the, the, the club does a, a lot of stuff. Rotary International does a lot of good as well. I, I'm proud to be a Rotarian. But a lot of the people in my current club are folks who I think, you know, are, are this close to saddling up for the, the next January 6th. Yeah. Um, and it's so it's a weird thing. But I think part of what I hear you saying is that by engaging with them across other things and leaving the politics aside for a while, we build relationships that make it just a little bit harder 
for them to show up uh, at the next of, you know, January 6th, because they know one of the people that they would be working against quite violently would be their buddy Devin from the Rotary Club. Uh, Am I hearing you correctly? Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's funny that you bring up Rotary. We work very closely with Rotary International at the Horizons Project. And one of the um, projects that we're working on with them is is the difference between good polarization and toxic polarization and how that shows up in the life of Rotary. <laughs> because, I, you know, Rotary has a whole and, you know, there's a whole bunch of organizations doing very good work for their fellow, for their community. And, um, and we get a little worried when we see those who are raising the heat. So whether it's a Black Lives Matter um, movement, whether it's climate change, whether it's, you know, now, you know, an abortion, you know, rights movement, you know, there's, there's a world where we polarize to organize. And, and I think that that's a little unsettling. Rotary doesn't feel super comfortable with that. And yet, um, part of being a service organization, I think, part of being a member of the community, and, and I think what you're talking about is, is very local level stitching together those relationships because you really, you really want to be able to see that humanity in kind of the, who you consider the other side. And yet... We've got to tie all that service work to justice work. And for and that seems very politicized right now. And so what does it look like to think about the systemic change? Because you could be working for, you know, a food bank, but but you can also be working with your city with regards to food insecurity policies that you want to see changed. And so I yeah. think that there's kind of also recognizing that. You, maybe Rotary doesn't have to do that, but some Rotary members might be connected with some groups who are also working to really deal with systemic injustice. Now, with that said, there's a, that's good polarization because we want to we want to um, you know what we want to raise the heat so that complacency about food insecurity isn't tolerated anymore in your small community, and. Yeah. You know, so so there's a way that Rotary comes together, but then is also really contributing to the long-term change. Now, toxic polarization, when does it tip over into toxicity or acute polarization? And that's when you see um, othering and dehumanizing language. And so, you know, if that's when the calling in and calling out uh, strategies really work because, you know, all those liberals they're all communists. All those, you know, Trump lovers, you know, they're all fascists, they're Nazis. And so when we hear gross generalizations, we have to like call in our, our community members and say, well, you know, actually, and there's, there's strategies to do that. I know that you know really good people on both sides um, and you don't want to shame people. And I think that that's really the, the vicious cycle we're in right now is when we hear language of othering, uh, you know, we jump on it with a lot of anger and we shame people and and they become, you know, even more, uh, they cleave even more to their in-group. <laughs> so it doesn't work that well. You know, so I think that, um, 
you know, there, there are ways of having these kind of quiet conversations about who Rotary, you know, wants to be. Because I, what I love about Rotary is that you've got a superordinate uh, identity as Rotarians. And that mm-hmm. four-way test is beautiful. And I think that we're looking for that right now, a superordinate identity, because our partisan identity has taken over in this uh, polarized moment. So that's why I was talking about stacked identities. Yeah. And so you meet you meet those conversations with, with empathy and with love, dare I say. I know that sounds mushy, yeah. but that's true. Um, yeah. You know, people that you care about, and we're all complex. We're complex people. Yeah. In 2020, I ran for Congress and I became aware in a, from a fresh perspective, right, of something that I hadn't fully appreciated. But uh, being a partisan guy, uh, you know, I, I was well accustomed to um, seeing and making uh, some rather uh, accusatory blanket statements about the other guys. And I was very attuned to the blanket statements against me. You alluded to them, right? Sometimes we call all Trump supporters Nazis. Uh, sometimes uh, Republicans call Democrats socialists or communists. Um, those are absurd blanket statements. Um, and I, they, they don't serve anyone any good. And and then there are, you know, personal attacks in politics as well uh, mm-hmm. that sometimes get out of hand. Um, how do we have, how do you coach people to be thoughtful politicians? Because they're such leaders. I mean, like it or not, they're leaders, right? How do we, how do we engage in political discourse in such a way that we can make a point that's valid, that's important, that needs to be said without resorting to language that is too broad and unfair, uh, but is designed to fire up the base, right? How do we do it? Um, Well, you know, context is everything, isn't it? And um, I think that we really need a movement in the United States that calls for a different kind of leadership because we get the leaders we deserve (laughs) and we're, we are, I mean, just yesterday in the bridging conversation we were having is, you know, is Washington DC reactive or is it causal? (laughs) I, you know, I, and are we saying that our national politics are so broken that somehow we, you know, we're crumbling as a society, the social cohesion, our social fabric, or is our social fabric crumbled? And then therefore we have these leaders. And then, you know, all of the kind of social media and information, you know, the media, um, and we need to feel a sense of agency again. And, And so I do think that there is an, a higher level of accountability for leaders. And so one of the things that we're really working on at the Horizons Project is a strategy around what is this vision that we want in our democracy, where we trust our institutions that we are going to make sure that we're, we won't stand for leaders who are othering um, and dehumanizing 
And that includes businesses and, and that's above partisan identity. It should be on all sides. Now, with that said, when we're firing up the base, we fire up the base based on a common vision. And I think that that's, that's where we've kind of fallen down. Um, we have only two parties, which means that, you know, our kind of big tent approach, you've experienced this, you know, wrangling the diversity. So, you know, there's some very interesting you know, institutional reforms on the table with regards to like, let's break it up into a four-party system. You know, what would that look like? You know, ranked choice voting, what would that look like making us more civil? But it's also up to us to say um, and to organize to say, we don't, we don't like this. We don't want this language. And you can fire up your base based on a future vision of what you're for and not necessarily what you're against. And there is research that that works. And, and so unfortunately, there's an incentive structure right now um, because we're all marinating in this, you know, outrage feels very good, by the way. You know that, right? We're all flooded with the kind of love hormone at, that makes us feel closer to our in-group when we feel outraged together. We are more yeah. together when we're outraged. So we really need we need to disenthrall ourselves from the outrage and we need to find that kind of common cause. And it's okay that people think differently, that we come to different policy solutions. We just need to get back to deliberation and and being able to actually discuss policy choices. Because you know, we're not doing much of that right now. And, and I really think it's it's going to take a movement of people that say enough is enough. There's yeah. more of us, actually. I really believe that. There's more of us that want a different citizenry, a different politic. We just have to get a little more active about it. And uh, your Rotary Club is a good start. What do we stand for? Do we want to stand for you know the values of, of Rotary? Let's start working more towards that. Yeah. Great, great point. Julia, what's your superpower? Oh, <laughs> what is my superpower? Right now, I feel like my superpower is just embracing complexity. I know that sounds very high-minded. You know, if I could I fly? Could I be <laughs> invisible? But I think sitting with uncertainty sitting with ambiguity, recognizing how complex the world is and letting, letting it be both and. You can be both traumatized and exhausted and you can feel, you know, hope in the future, you know, that you see your 21-year-old daughter and how engaged she is and, and you can feel worried and, you know, you still have agency to make a difference. And so I think, I think, the superpower that we need right now is to sit with complexity and still act. And uh, so I really want to instill in people a sense of agency, even in the, in the chaos. That's a, a, a brilliant uh, observation and a, a great superpower. Um, I want you to think if you can identify a time when you utilize that superpower 
and achieved some outcome that you're proud of. Uh, maybe it was just in a simple conversation. Maybe it was pulling off a big event. Uh, maybe it was, you know, uh, a, I don't know, a detente of some sort. Uh, to give us an example of, of when that actually came into play. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd probably, if I had more time to think about it, I could come up with a better example. But this is what I'm thinking about right now is, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I really do believe in the power of convening people who should meet each other and wrestle with tensions. Because part of what need, part of what we need to do right now, and I might have said this already, is just we need to hold up a mirror to ourselves. <laughs> and, and so recently we've been gathering a group of social justice activists people who are really on the kind of, let's say, radical side of the, the spectrum, and a group of peace builders um, who may say we want to like dial down the tension. And talking about facilitating a conversation that was quite painful because it was right around, um, you know, just uh, whether it was Black Lives Matter, whether it was some of the like police reform discussions, whether it was the Supreme Court justice nominee that just went through, you know, feelings are intense. And, and so with our social justice colleagues, hearing about the strategy of wanting to maintain relationships with, let's say, more uh, center right, even far right colleagues that peace builders were expressing, why it was important to them to have the legitimacy to convene the other side and the hurt that that felt, that means that you're not in solidarity with me. And, and we facilitated those conversations. And, and what I've experienced when you bring complexity into the room to say both of your strategies can be true, both of your feelings can be true, <laughs> And we, and we need both. We need the bridge builders to maintain that link. And it doesn't mean that your issue isn't important to me. And I care about you and I value you and your work. And, and I hear what you're saying. And there's a bit of an aha moment, I think for my peace building friends, uh, that neutrality is not what is called for in this moment. And that's a big, that was a big aha moment for my peace building friends. And there's a wonderful book called The Neutrality Trap by Bernie Mayer, a, a real icon in the peace building conflict resolution field. And so what I'm really proud of is that there's an aha moment of what neutrality costs us sometimes as peace builders. And uh, that we need a little bit more of the solidarity. Um, and yet, still being able to maintain the relationships with others. So that's a really complex conversation. Um, and all of these different perspectives can be true within one system trying to make change uh, in the country. Oh, that's a great example. Thank you for sharing that. Now, one, one final question of substance here. As you, as you think about your superpower of being able to, you know, cope with, live with, live in complexity, accept complexity, how how would you coach others to develop that skill even a little bit? How do we begin? Because a lot of us spend our time trying to simplify life, to make it clearer, mm -hmm. divide it into simple black and white. 
it's a reversal really for us to say, no, I want to understand, appreciate, and embrace complexity. How do we do that? Yeah, it's a really great question, but it's something I'm really committed to right now because I I do think that our whole education system needs to adapt to this future because we will never have the full picture of any problem we're trying to solve unless, you know, we work in aerospace science and we're building a plane and there's like there's a very clear answer um, to that question. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of different tools around actually just sense-making. So I'm really, and so complexity is tied to sense-making, which I, I, people, when I was talking to a friend recently in, in my um, church community, she said, sense-making, like, like two cents, like C-E-N-T-S. And then I realized this is very jargony when I say sense-making. No, no. I mean, how are we making sense of the world? And so I, I have been asking other leaders, well, how do you do it? And I think that there's an aspect of, you know, observation of, of making sure that there's a diversity of sources that you consult, you know, that you read. If, if that's you listen to podcasts, you make sure there's a lot, you know, you're in a lot of different communities of practice, let's say, Um But what I found really interesting about some of the practices was a lot of also just quiet time to like, just listen to like, almost like hear your own thoughts. And I know that sounds really um, maybe woo woo, like, you know, too much kind of yoga uh, mindfulness, but I actually believe that. I believe that a practice of complexity is just sitting in quiet to hear yourself think sometimes and and letting the worry and the and the bigness of the problems wash over you <laughs> and then letting it be okay and then of course being in relationships with others because i we can only make sense of the world with other people so you find your community and you talk with them about how they're making sense of things right now. Um, And that diversity of the community, because they also then are going to have your back. If you engage with whatever you want to engage with, very complex, very difficult, and we might make mistakes. (laughs) Might not go really well. So then we also have to be forgiving of each other um, in this moment, because we do the best we can with the information we have. Yeah. Great, great guidance. Well, Julia, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Before we wrap up, would you take a minute and tell people how they can learn more about the Horizons Project and how they can connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, definitely our website is the good place to start. And you can find us at horizonsproject.us. We have a regular newsletter um, that comes out, which is a compilation of materials that we curate essentially, you know, wanting to share all this great sense-making stuff um, to try and kind of put some new ideas um, in in folks' heads. I'm always interested in in people reaching out to me and and by by email or by LinkedIn and um, just sharing thoughts and, and, you know, networking with each other. And, um, you know, we have a lot of events uh, that we also, so our website is just chock full of some of those resources and then webinars that we've produced in the past. So 
definitely, please be in touch. We're, we're only going to get through this if we do it together. Fantastic. Well, Julia, thank you so much for joining me today and being with us. We're, we're grateful for your time and we want to wish you every success in your efforts to help create more peace on earth. My heavens, we need it. Oh, uh, so we wish you luck. Thank you. Thank you for all that you're doing too, Devin. You're a great connector t- as well. Alrighty. Thank you. Now let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.